Well, good morning and happy Mother's Day. I, I especially want to wish happy Mother's Day to my mom. I think she's watching right now. She should be watching. Hopefully she's watching, but she is amazing and she has always been such a steadying presence in my life, pointing me to faith, and I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful for my wife, too. I think that my wife is watching. Uh, happy Mother's Day to Becky, who has the unenviable job of living in a house full of testosterone, but navigates it with such grace and amazing uh, just amazing love. And I think even my mother-in-law is watching. And happy Mother's Day to her too. So that's three amazing mothers in my life. I hope you're having a great Mother's Day. Uh, we are, we've been in a series here where we're looking at uh, the one more thing that Jesus said. We called the series One More Thing because it's this moment after Jesus has resurrected from the dead, but before he's ascended into heaven. And he, he has these conversations with people where it seems like he just has like this one last thing that he wants to leave them with. Today we're going to be in Acts chapter 1, and this is the moment where Jesus is actually going to ascend into heaven, and he's going to leave the earth behind. And right before that moment, he has a handful of last words that are just astounding and stunning to me. So find your way over to Acts 1. As I was studying this passage, uh, what it made me think about is something that's happening in my house. We have, as I mentioned, three boys, and uh, you know, this is the time of the year where they're transitioning to summer. With the coronavirus thing, it feels kind of like summer's already started, but everybody has a whole lot of free time on their hands suddenly. And you know, we're trying to establish a rhythm. I'm sure it's been disruptive in your house. It's been disruptive in ours. You know, we have people sleep until noon, staying up till two in the morning that sort of thing. And that's fun for a while, but eventually you can't live that way. You've got to kind of settle in to some sort of a regular rhythm. And for us, part of what that means is we have to have the conversation about household chores. That is happening in the Cleveland house right now. Uh, I remember um, when I first started having kids, I, I foolishly thought how great this would be because I thought of all the chores I would never have to do because you have kids, so you don't have to do stuff like the dishes anymore. And I was so excited to teach my young kids how to do the dishes. But what do I discover? I'm sure if you have kids in your house, you've discovered this. Sometimes teaching someone else to do something is actually more work for you than just doing it yourself. Uh, and I remember when they were little, I'd, I'd take them into the kitchen, I'd teach them how to do the dishes, and I'd say, you know, you'd put them in the dishwasher this way. And then I'd watch them. And they'd like put like the bowl upside down in the dishwasher, and I'd be like, well, it's never going to get clean. You can't do it that way. Let me show you again. I'd show them again, and then they'd do it, and they'd do it wrong again. And I'd be like, just get out of the way. Let me take care of it. It took me a while to realize they were probably doing it wrong on purpose, so I'd take over and just do it. But that's the challenge, right? Is when you're trying to, to get someone to do something that you care about how it gets done, it is hard to just trust them to do it themselves. It's not just a challenge with chores, it is a challenge with delegation in general. Now, here's how it connects to the passage that we're going to look at today. I cannot think of something that Jesus cares more about than the gospel message. And this is the moment where he is going to ascend into heaven and there's nothing on his list that he cares more about than the kingdom message that his people were going to carry into all the earth. He's about to hand off a task and it's not like dishes. It's like the most important task ever. He is going to delegate to his disciples and when that moment came, 
for him to leave them to it. He gives so few directions. It blows my mind. He didn't give them like a book. He didn't give them like a, he didn't even give them a pamphlet. He's not, he didn't like a PowerPoint presentation. So you want to be the church. None of that stuff. He just kind of left. And when he left, he said, listen, here's a promise. I want you to go to Jerusalem and I want you to wait because the Holy Spirit is going to come. Wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. But that's it. No great instructions. And it shouldn't have worked, but it did work. I I feel like we needed more details, but that was all he did. And together, this ragtag bunch of followers, they tore open the world with the good news of the kingdom of God. Acts 1 is the moment where he does that. He delegates this to them, and somehow it works. And I want us to just look at this together and look at his final few words. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 says this, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Now, the writer of this book is Luke, and Luke wrote two books in the New Testament. He wrote wrote the Gospel of Luke, of course, and then he also wrote Acts. Uh, Both of these books he writes to this character Theophilus. It's it's somebody's name, uh, and the name means friend of God, and there's speculation. This could be a real person, or this could just be he's writing to like all believers everywhere, and he's calling us friends of God. But that's who he's writing to. Verse 3 says this, after his suffering... He presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And of course he did, right? Isn't this exactly what we would expect? This, what was the singular obsession of Jesus' life? It was the kingdom of God. This was the first sermon he preached. You could turn over to Matthew 4, and you could read about the first sermon that he preached. It was, repent, the kingdom of God is near. These are the last words that he gave to his disciple. Turn over to Acts 1, or we're in Acts 1. It's about the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus was obsessed with. Let me just make a simple observation here. If we, as believers, are not focused on the kingdom of God in our life, then we have missed the topic that was the most important topic to our Savior. You and I, I think, should give the kingdom the sort of primacy that Jesus gave it in his life and ministry. Look at verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So this is the thing. This is the thing Jesus is going to leave them with. Not a lot of detailed instruction, not a manual on how to do it, but with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It was something he promised. It was something he talked about a lot. And now it's almost here. And you, you almost can hear the excitement in his voice. He's like, get ready for this. Now, the disciples who have this keen ability to miss Jesus' point, they ask this follow-up question. Verse 6. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? What are they concerned about here? They're totally blowing past the the Holy Spirit thing. What they are concerned about is their nation. 
their country. Like, wouldn't it be great, Jesus, if Israel was great again? Wouldn't that be amazing for everyone? Imagine if our nation was like powerful and influential, how great that would be and how many things we could accomplish on the earth. That was their focus. And what's amazing to me is the grace and the kindness with which our Savior redirects them. He says two very important things to them. Look at this in verse 7. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He says two really important things here. The first thing he says is just good. It's not the main thing, but it's worth noting. He just says, listen, it's not for you to know. Like, think about that for a second. Like, these are the apostles. These are the disciples who became the apostles. These are the ones who knew so much about Jesus. Like, every piece of theology that you and I understand about Jesus came from these guys. It came from the apostles and what they knew. And not only did they know all the big theological concepts that we study, but they knew the little stuff. They walked with Jesus. They knew stuff like what Jesus looks like when he smiles. Like, isn't that amazing? They knew that. They knew, like, what, what was Jesus' favorite food? We don't know. But they, these guys knew that. They knew so much about Jesus. And yet, there were some things that God said to them, I'm not going to tell you that. I think it, this, this is so important, especially if we're theologically minded. It's good to study. It's good to care about theology. It's good to care about truth and figuring things out. But this, this is a verse we should memorize if that's how our mind is oriented. It is not for you to know some things. That's what Jesus says to them. There's always going to be some mystery in the faith. That's why it's faith. There's always going to be a lack of total clarity. And I know it, it kind of offends our pride or it offends my pride, but sometimes God will say to each one of us, you don't get to know that. You just don't get to know it. It could list all sorts of topics. Like he says this about theology. He says this about our lives personally. But I think it, like, it, it's just worth acknowledging at this point in the story that we uh, do not get to know everything. We're not told everything. And we have to accept that. And we can't worship certainty. We can't worship clarity and start thinking we can figure all of the stuff out. We have to be humble in that. Now, that's one thing that he says to them. But I think there's this other thing that actually is the most important thing. Jesus talks about, hey, let me redirect you to the Holy Spirit that is going to come. And when it comes on you, he says, uh, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And do you see how gently he pivots them towards thinking about the whole world. Jesus was a guy who was thinking globally before it was popular. Before that was a thing, he was thinking globally. And they ask about their nation. They're like, hey, is this going to be the moment that God restores this nation? And he says, well, yes, you are going to be my witnesses to Jerusalem and Judea. And that was kind of their nation. But then he adds, and to Samaria. And Samaria wasn't just another place. Like, this was the place that, that they would have been the most prejudiced against, right? So he says, yes, we're going to reach your nation, but we're also going to reach that place that you don't want to go. And then he says, and by the way, to the ends of the earth, and we're going to reach everything else. 
I think this is how Jesus would respond to all of us who tend to be a little bit nationalistic in our orientation. I think he says, yes, reach your nation. And then also, reach the people you are most prejudiced against. And then go ahead and reach the entire world, the rest of the world as well. Jesus' kingdom, it has never respected national borders. And if we pull that forward into our day and into our culture, I think he would say to us, yeah, it's fine to love America. I like America very much. But let's realize that Jesus' kingdom, which is our first uh, loyalty, it is a global kingdom, and it always has been a global kingdom. That was his message to his first followers, and that is his message to us in our nation as well. He's pushed us always. Uh, get past your nationalism. Reach the people you're prejudiced against. Reach the whole world. It is a global kingdom. So that's what he says, and then here's what happens. Verse 9, here's the moment that he steps away. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up at the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. That's it. That's it. That's the last moment. And with one exception, Jesus never says another word here on earth. This is his final moment. And of course, what does he do in his final moment, right? He talks about the kingdom of God. He talks about the Holy Spirit. He talks about loving and going to the entire world. And of course he did. If you've been tracking with us this year in the Gospel of Mark or in these last few weeks in the Gospel of John, of course this is what he would talk about in his final words to his followers, the kingdom, the spirit, and reaching the earth. I want to hit you with just three really simplistic conclusions. I think this is a pretty simple passage in some respects. And I want to hit you with three very simplistic conclusions. It may be obvious to some of us, but I think these are so important. We just need to dwell on them for a moment. The first is this. The church, which is us, the church exists for the kingdom of God. That's why we exist. That is our mission statement, to be about the kingdom business. That's what Jesus left us to do and be. This was like the chore that he delegated to us, was to advance the kingdom. So let me ask you, what is the business of the kingdom? If this was the thing Jesus was obsessed about, what is the business of the kingdom? The kingdom is wherever God reigns on earth through Jesus Christ. And the reality is of this earth, you look around and we see this all the time. There are a lot of broken people and there are a lot of broken places on this earth that are not yet under the reign of Jesus Christ. We are reminded of this nonstop, the brokenness that we live with. This week, uh, you know, I'm sure if you read the news, you were reminded of the brokenness of this earth as we saw the sin of racial injustice play out in Georgia. And it's shocking to see authorities who do not act because they see the video of a murder, but they only act after we see the video of murder and raise up our voice and force action. And you look at it and it's just so broken and so tragic. 
And that brokenness is nonstop. Next week we'll be reminded about how the world's broken in another way. Because it's constant. But as God's kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven, those broken places, those broken people begin to be healed, begin to be restored. And I would really say that what it means to be about the kingdom's business is that we are focused on restoration. As the people of God, that is our business, restoring broken things. And it's all the things. It is restoration of soul. It's the restoration of our soul. It's the restoration of other souls. It is restoration of just broken systems and broken issues in our world. That's why we tell people about Jesus. That's why we do stuff like Feed the Hungry, because it is about restoration. And to succeed, I think, at this business of the kingdom that is the task that Jesus gave us, the church, then we have to maintain in our hearts and in our minds a vision for how the world should be. Like we have to be laser focused on this picture of what could be, telling others about the kingdom, demonstrating what the kingdom looks like when Christ reigns on earth. You know, we don't have time to waste getting distracted by secondary things. And I think this has always been the issue that we as God's people have struggled with. We get distracted by sin. We get distracted by our pride. We get distracted by infighting over secondary issues. We get distracted by our pain or our anxiety or just the issues going on inside of us. And it's so easy for us to take this primary thing that Jesus cared about, the kingdom, And to set it aside and to put it on the back burner in our lives. But I think Jesus' final words today help us cut through that distraction. He was obsessed with the kingdom of God with this idea that the love of a good God could restore broken things. For a Jesus follower, if, we are, if that's our identity, that we are a follower of Jesus, a Christian, then I think that means we allow his obsession to become our obsession. Let me give you a real practical way to do that. Um, and whatever uh, resource you use, if you just take like the Gospels and Acts and do a, a word search of two terms, kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven. In Matthew, it's called the kingdom of heaven. In the rest of the Gospels, it's called the kingdom of God. And just in the Gospels and Acts, if you search for those two phrases, you will, uh, this is what will turn up. I'll give you a second to write all those down. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, You can do it on your own. But most of those verses are passages where Jesus is describing this vision of what the kingdom of God is like. This is what I mean by obsessed. There was nothing that he cared about more. It was the subject that he would first talk about and last talk about. We as the church exist for the kingdom of God. And maybe the place to start is just to allow Jesus' words to create in us a vision for how this world will be for how brokenness is restored on earth. He was laser focused on this. And if we are his people, we must be also. Here's a second really simplistic conclusion about Jesus' final words. The Holy Spirit is the greatest asset we have. The Holy Spirit is the greatest asset we have. You know, the Holy Spirit, it's not a means to an end. It's not something that, like, helps us get things done. It's not just something that gives us gift, gifts. The Holy Spirit is the gift. 
This is what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Because of the cross, now God, the Holy Spirit, lives in each person who believes. Like in Jesus' mind, that was everything. And this is why Jesus had the confidence to leave. This is why he didn't leave a long list of instructions. Because he wasn't just leaving them with some tasks to perform. He was leaving them with the living God living inside of them. And Jesus had so much confidence in that that it gave him the confidence to walk away. Jesus actually believed this, that, that like for his followers, leaving them with the Holy Spirit was better than him staying. That's what Jesus believed. And that's astounding because I think none of us would take that deal. Like if I offered you a chance to have Jesus himself, like walking with you, standing beside you day in, day out, like which one of us wouldn't say, yes, that would be so great. I would love that. Jesus is the one who thought that was not better for us. Jesus was the one who thought, I'm going to leave so that this better thing can come along, which is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes and indwells all who believe, and it changes everything for us. The Holy Spirit is the greatest asset that we have because we have not just the living God standing beside us, but we have the living God living inside of us. And I think it's, the Holy Spirit is something kind of like the kingdom of God, that we need to have a vision for it that matches the intensity of our Savior's vision for it. Like we need to learn how to depend on the Holy Spirit and walk with the Holy Spirit with the same level of diligence that Jesus talked about this. It's something we have to value as much as he did. So this is his final moment. Jesus knows he's about to walk away from the earth for a while. And what does he say? He says, focus on the kingdom of God, live by the Spirit. That's what he said. That's that's his parting words. And that's real simply, I think, what it means to be one of his people. Here's the last real simple conclusion I want to hit you with. Jesus is calling you to step up into what you already are. That's the challenge of these words. He's calling you to step up into what you already are. What's amazing, when you read the story of Acts in the early church, it's not like they set out to be this amazing, life-changing, world-changing force. They, they, They weren't given a plan. They weren't given a strategy. They were given the Holy Spirit, and they walked with the Spirit, and they focused on the kingdom. They restored things when they could. They spoke about what they knew, and the Holy Spirit accomplished the rest. Here's what I would say to us today. Whatever you are, you have already been given a purpose. The kingdom of God, that is the purpose that we as believers have. To restore people and things here, there, everywhere, the ends of the earth, everywhere. That's our purpose. We've been given a helper too. The living God, the God of the universe, dwells inside of us to guide us to comfort us, to heal us, to inspire us, to challenge us. I just want us to consider that we don't need something more to be able to to live this life. Like we just need to step up into what we already have. What we have is so incredible, the resources that we have in the Holy Spirit and in the kingdom of God. We just need to step up into it. I think uh, it's so easy sometimes, or I've experienced this, sometimes I make my spiritual life way more complicated than it has to be. 
And I think in Jesus' final words to his, to his followers, we see kind of the simple focus that he wants us to have. What are you working with God to restore? How are you walking with the spirit that lives in you? That's it. That's where we live. Now, what's so fascinating to me uh, and kind of interesting is the way this passage ends, right? So Jesus, he flies away somehow. Who knows what that looks like? But he flies away, and the disciples are just kind of watching him, staring up at wherever he, the cloud obscures him. And then these two angels show up, and they ask what on the surface seems like a really dumb question but like if you think about it, it actually is really quite profound. Like what they ask is they say, why are you standing here looking up in the sky? And on the surface, like that's an easy question to answer. It's, well, we just saw our friend and he like flew away. So we're looking at where he was. Like that's the answer. But I think they're getting at something a little bit deeper. And we don't know if the disciples said this, but I, I think the, the deeper answer, why are you standing here looking up at the sky would be something like, well, because, you know, we don't know what else to do. Because uh, we all were hoping that Jesus would maybe do something else. And now he's gone. Because we're not sure that we have what it takes. I, our confidence is at an all-time low. Because we're stuck. We're a little fearful. Because we're hurting. Uh, some really hard things have happened to us in this last month. It has been a long month. Because we're wanting Jesus to do something else. And it seems like he just left. You know, there's so many reasons that we believers, we catch ourselves just standing and staring at something. Focusing often on what we don't have. Focusing on the thing that we wanted, but we didn't get. Instead of focusing on the things that we have. I think Jesus' final words need to shake us out of our standing. You have the purpose of the kingdom to restore. You have the spirit of the living God living inside of you. And Jesus is calling us to stop standing around, stop looking at what we don't have, and to step into what we already have. What are you working with God to restore? How are you walking with the spirit that lives in you? There's such a simplicity, I think, to that, that uh, Jesus draws our attention back again and again. And I think he just wants us to live into that simple life of walking with the spirit, focused on the kingdom, and resist distraction. I was thinking about this this week. It is especially difficult right now to resist distraction. Uh, a, a worldwide pandemic is awfully distracting, isn't it? And like it always does, what our world seems to have done is they've taken up sides, and there are always two sides, and there's no one in the middle, and they've just, they've entrenched in these two positions. In both positions, there's some legitimacy to both. One camp is this camp that is focused on safety and health. They want to make sure that we are not jeopardizing any lives, that we're controlling this outbreak, that we're taking care of one another, that we're looking out for each other. Then you have this other camp that's very focused on freedom and liberty. 
And they want to make sure that governments are not infringing upon rights, that governments are not abusing power or manipulating a crisis to their own ends. And they're very focused on that. And what's distracting about both of those camps is, I don't know about you, but every time I go online, it's like both camps are like waving you over. And they're like, hey, come listen to us. I have some really good ideas I'd like to share with you. And into the allure of all of those distractions stands Jesus. And I think he's saying to us, hey, why, why are you standing there looking at that? Focus on the kingdom and walk with the Spirit. That is enough. And the distraction of a worldwide pandemic, as distracting as that is, it does not change the simple pursuit of focus on the kingdom, walk with the Spirit. That's what changes our lives. That's what changes the world Pandemic or no? I want to make a suggestion and ask you to join with me in something this week. I, it's super simplistic, but just might help. I think these simple words of Jesus, they are simple in a brilliant way. And I think we could engage with them together this week. Have you ever noticed this? Uh, the Lord's Prayer, which is the prayer that Jesus used to teach us how to pray. Uh, the Lord's Prayer, there's really two parts to it. And I don't know if you've noticed this before. It comes out of Matthew 6. You can read it on your own later. But uh, Jesus said, this then is how you should pray. And this is the first part. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the first part is the kingdom, the obsession of Jesus' life. He is praying for the restoration of the kingdom of God on earth. That's the first part. But then he, he mentions three other subjects, and I, I want to lump them all together. Verse 11 says, give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then verse 13 says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so he's talking about provision. He's talking about healing our soul, healing our relationships with others. He's talking about deliverance from sin. So the first half of this prayer is the kingdom of God part. The second half is really just about how do you simply walk with God on a daily basis? And the Spirit hadn't come yet, so he doesn't talk about the Holy Spirit here. But it's really just the ministry of the Holy Spirit. How do you walk in dependence on the Holy Spirit? So here's the idea I had. Here's what I'm going to do this week, and I'm inviting you to join me. What if each of us committed to just pray this simple reorienting prayer three times a day for the, the duration of this week. We can do it after that too. But I just thought as a community, we could do this together for this week. So three times a day, we just draw our focus to these things that Jesus cared about more than anything else. The kingdom of God and walking daily in dependence with the Holy Spirit. Maybe that would help us rise above the distraction uh, of these days. Uh, there's a bunch of different ways to do that. Here's what I'm planning on doing. Uh, I, I like to repeat it three times. It's a very short prayer, and there's something about the first time it kind of doesn't stick, and so I repeat it a couple more times, and uh, it really connects in my heart a little bit more. And then I do that morning, noon, and evening. And what I did is I just put a reminder in my phone, so I'm going to do that three times a day all week this week. You can come up, of course, with your own plan if you'd like to, but I want to invite you to do that with me. And it could just be this simple statement to our souls that we are not going to be distracted from what matters most. It could be a way that Jesus just draws us back again to the simplicity of the basics in this incredibly distracting season. Here's what he asks. 
Why are we standing there? Focus on the kingdom, walk with the Spirit. Would you pray this with me right now? I'm going to repeat this three times. You can say it out loud or you can say it in your heart. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen.